Hi, and welcome to DeWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Chris O'Fault, I'm the editor of the Toolkit. And my guest today, I'm so happy we're welcoming back to the show, Greta Gerwig, talking about her new film, Little Women. And today's show is being brought to you by PBS Distribution, presenting one of the year's most acclaimed documentary films for Sama, winner of the Best Feature and Courage Under Fire IDA Documentary Awards, and nominated for the Cinema Eye Honors, Producers Guild, and Film Independent Spirit Awards. For Sama is an intimate and epic journey into the female experience of war. It's a love letter from a young mother to her daughter. The film tells the story of Wad al-Khabib's life through five years of uprising in Aleppo, Syria, as she falls in love, gets married, and gives birth to Sama, all while cataclysmic conflict rises around her. It's for your consideration for best documentary feature, and I'll just add, uh, this film wrecked me. Um, really recommend checking this one out, but brace yourself. This one is, uh, is very powerful. Um, and now, here's, uh, here's my conversation with Greta. I was at the uh, first screening, and you've said this other places, but it was right, right in the beginning. You said, you know, Joe March was my hero mm-hmm. as a child, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Louisa May, um, May Alcott is my hero now. And you, you've spoken about this eloquently, but there's something, there's an element that you had mentioned that you had done research, and mm-hmm. I'm curious what you learned in the research and how that informed. I understand. I think everybody understands right. exactly what you're talking about, especially right. once they see this movie by Al Qaeda here. But I'm curious what you found because it sounded like you didn't just. It sounded like you had a researcher even on this thing, right? I well, I didn't have a. I didn't have a a, a, a gentleman assigned to me, <laughs> uh, as it were. But I. Uh, well, I, I mean, when I grew up with a book, I loved the book, but I, I actually never really dug into who the person who had written it w- was. It wasn't something I thought about because, I don't know, I, I think that's the way children ap- approach fiction or approach mo- most things. Uh, the, the person behind the thing is not the idea that really that's made it, yeah. interesting. Um I mean, I had the same relationship to film for a long time, too. I haven't really had no idea who made them, and I didn't really particularly care. Um, and it wasn't until later that I started digging into who who who'd actually made the thing. Um, but uh, when I read the book as an adult, the thing that was just so amazing to me was how modern it was, how urgent it was, how pressing it was, how many of the lines felt like they were brand new. And... Then I started thinking about, well, who wrote this? And it's also because the book is not told from the perspective of Joe. There's a narrator that's um, presumably Louise May Alcott, and she's, uh, you know, funny and wise and comments on the goings-on in a way that I don't think at the time I really knew to look for that person. And I think that in this adaptation... I kept wanting to find the author, the author of, of Joe as a writer, the author of Louisa writing Joe, writing the thing that looks like Louisa's life, the author of me writing Joe, writing Louisa, writing the thing that looks like Louisa's life. I wanted to find this almost like kaleidoscope of, of authorship. But um, with Louisa, I, I started reading um, other things she's written, Um I'd read all of the Little Women books, the uh, Joe's Boys and Little Men, but um, just other novels she'd written, other stories she'd she'd written, uh, her hospital sketches, um, and then I started getting into her letters and her diaries, and then I started learning about her relationship with her mother, her relationship with her father. There's a lot of scholarship around it now, um, 
And I, what I found was this just incredibly fascinating, complex woman who was both an artist and a businesswoman. And I thought that that was uh, worth exploring and playing with narratively. Because it's there. It's been a while since I've read the book, but it, it's there that commerce and art aspect, the money and art, it, it's mm-hmm. there. You're pulling it out almost a little yeah. bit more, right? In, 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 yeah. in, in the way that we move towards the end and things like that. Right. I mean, but it's there the whole time. And mm-hmm. I mean, it really is the commerce and art is there. And there's really fascinating sections. There's lots of things I didn't even get a chance to do all of it. But there's a, a really fascinating stretch of the the book where Joe actually publishes a novel. But she takes notes from so many people that the novel becomes a shadow of its former self and then it doesn't do very well when it's published it doesn't do well financially or critically and um i don't know when i read that i thought oh no i know exactly what that's like (laughs) that's like making a movie where you take notes from too many people and then you get it you wind up with a thing that's just beige and nobody cares about because you're trying to please everyone you end up not pleasing anyone so um i mean but actually in the book she ends up um stopping she does she stops writing um but there's a meta quality already in the book and there's definitely these conversations about art and commerce all, you know all mm-hmm. over the book and i i think uh in some ways it was just it was teasing that line out yeah. obviously one of the things you did here was the, the restructuring yes, you know and, and yeah. moving back and forth and starting with adults and you've also spoken really eloquently about that and it's such a smart choice, as you've said, this idea mm. that having the adult walk alongside the aspirations of a child, mm. it, or the, they're not children, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it, yeah, it, teenagers. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful. The, the idea is, is so, so, so nice. Mm. I'm curious, though, it mm. worked. How hard was it to make that work? I mean, because, I mean, in concept, it's brilliant, but mm. I, it, it's smooth and no, the story yeah. progresses. I have to imagine that's a lot of drafts. <laughs> it was a lot of drafts. It was a lot of also, um, you know, I mean, the, the, the faith in the idea. Um, I, I, I hit upon that really early. Um, it was the, new, the way I knew I wanted to tell it. And there were, uh, I mean, there were a few reasons um, the the way we're always walking with our younger selves, wanting to tell the story that way. Also, being able to play with the iconography of Little Women because, because if I've if I've rearranged the time and we ground it in adulthood, then when we do some of the the warm, cozy uh, scenes of Little Women that everybody knows of, you know, they're gathered around the fire and they're reading a letter from Father. Um, it's given another layer of meaning because it's it's the ache of it's gone that's that whatever that moment was is also gone which is i think um you know for me also the the position of uh the writer is you're always writing the thing that's already passed um but in any case there were all these reasons and uh i i wanted it to be uh, i wanted it to be both uh, you know, intellectual and and emotional, the transitions between these two time periods, and I and there were, and I wanted it to feel as if everything is always moving forward, even if it's not chronological. And I am, I love the feeling in a movie when I I have a moment of um, catching up to where we are. 
I think that's actually one of my favorite things when it, when a when a movie can do that. I also like cumulative moments where perhaps the revelation isn't necessarily on screen. It's accumulation of all of these uh, these moments. I had the great privilege last week of talking, speaking with um, Mike Lee in London. He's one of my favorite uh, directors, and and I, I feel like I'm always sort of. trying my damnedest to figure out how he does what he does, which is, which is that I can't ever tell you exactly when his movie catches. I just know there's some time in the middle of all of his films that I find myself uncontrollably crying. And I could not tell you the moment what it was that got me there. I just know that in Mr. Turner, there was a moment in the middle where it all suddenly, I felt it had all it was like the rug had been pulled out from under me but I didn't even know I was standing on a rug uh, mm-hmm. because it was being built underneath me like it like it has this sort of quality being pulled out and I wanted the sort of interplay of the time to be you know clear so you can follow it but also in a way to, to, to create this sense of um everything's happening all at once that um and I think you know the the biggest moment for that for me of of that for me was the Beth's death um and Beth getting sick and this this sort of parallel these time time periods did of, you always think of yeah. that as being the part where it was going to catch up is that yeah is that, was well that I always thought thing? of that as a place where it all collided yeah, that's, yeah, that's and right. I, w- I always saw that as the place where you don't know whether this is the past or this is the present mm-hmm. at this moment because um it's you know it's all moving into one and and in these two realities in this one she comes out alive and in this one she she doesn't and I, I always thought that that was the starkest contrast too between the magic of girlhood and the reality of adulthood and uh and also to be totally honest there's sort of a narrative issue in the book when you try to make it into a movie which is if a character gets sick and then gets better and then gets sick and then dies it's a bit of a hat trick to make it work so I I I was like okay well I want to do this because it felt like it it felt like it also gave it this thing that people intuitively have when people someone someone dies which is that I've said it I've heard other people say it they say but I just saw them Mm. and it's almost like a knee-jerk thing but I just saw them I just saw him and it's almost as if this kind of as if as if presence could inoculate you from from death and i i had always i had written it but i had also seen it in my mind's eye of this double walk down of the one time she's there and one time she's not there and uh so that that the you know cinema is one of the the art forms where you can literally have those two moments live next to each other because that's how it feels in life even though that's not how linear time works unfortunately it's so brilliant because, you know, if you think about like those old film noirs that have the flashback, it's like they're haunted by their past. The past is haunting over them. Right. And in this case, it's almost this inverse where it's this brilliant way of keeping the hope, yes. of carrying the hope with them. Right. And the way that that fatalism from those flashbacks, it, and then there's this journey back because of because of the illness home. It, right. It, I don't know if that came naturally. It's just like, oh, they can journey home and then and thinking about it this way. But it, it became this thing where it's almost like as it, as it, the first time I saw it, I was like, because the first time you're piecing it together, and like, yeah. oh, she's doing this because I was the first. Yeah, right, I, I, right. I, I, <laughs> but then it was like it started just flowing like a story yeah. so yeah. beautifully. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it, it's definitely something that took a. It took several 
I mean, I, I went through a lot of drafts in, ter- in the writing process, but then also the editing process was long because it's one of those movies where, you know, a small change in the front just has ripple effects the whole time. Um, and, it, but it's, it, yeah, it's a very... Um, was that opening hard? Because it was, I was rewatching yeah. the conciseness of in- how you introduce yeah. them. Yes, yes. And, it, and, it, and, and, you know, introducing them each in their separate lives, uh, they're never all together again. They never make it back. Uh, uh, not the four of them. That never happens. And that's when I realized that about the book, that once they're in their separate lives, that that's, that's it. Um, I found that unbearably heartbreaking. And uh, I thought, oh, the thing you miss is already gone. A lot of people have commented on this. Um, your Amy is, <laughs> yes. is, is, is different. Yeah. But I was trying to pull out what... I mean, obviously you see her in a way. Yes. So, I mean, uh, when a director sees a character in a certain way, that's going to mm-hmm. mean something. And then the performance and the casting is certainly going to mm-hmm. to take away some of the ways that we've seen a modern Amy. But I was trying to think about it. What, else, what did you actually do? <laughs> like, what I mean, did I actually is do? It, because, I mean, the thing is, is, I don't know that you added, I don't know that you added anything, did you? No. Well, I've, I mean, I think, well, a few things. I, I was aided by the glorious Florence Pugh, who, mm-hmm. who makes right, right. everything... Um, Wonderful. Uh, I mean, she's just an extraordinary actress. Um, and I knew I needed someone who was able to really, really hang in there with Timmy and Sersha. Mm. And they're, they're formidable actors. And I, and, and it had to be someone like Florence. Um, but I, I mean, the truth is about the character of Amy, she was one of the characters that I just kept underlining her lines, uh, in the book. Uh, I mean, she has, she she has a line the world is hard on ambitious girls and she has the line um uh you know i want to be great or nothing about her art and she has another line i don't pretend to be wise but i am observant and it just she's just wonderful and i thought when i when i was reading it again i was like oh my god amy's so much better than i'd ever given her credit for and it made me realize too what a what an interesting diagnosis of our culture that 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 the that the character who says most clearly what she wants is the one we hated for so long, mm-hmm. <laughs> as that she's so clear, I want these things and uh, and then she goes after them, but uh, yeah, I mean I I think starting with adulthood helps because it gives her a, it gives her a seriousness that she might not have in childhood and um, and that. I, it allows us to look at everything differently, um, but yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, it's not—it's not invented. It's all there. It feels like what, maybe you took her journey as an artist more seriously, and mm-hmm. you found something very interesting in the fact that this reconciliation with mm. you know the the art movement that's around yeah. her yes. and her kind of she's clearly got talent. She clearly has ambition, yeah. but there's like a, there's a, there's I think there's a moment that people realize. Yeah. Oh shit! <laughs> Which I yeah. think is different than like, maybe treating it like some dilettante in Paris, yes. like you know. Well, I, I mean, in general, I wanted all of their artistic pursuits to be taken very seriously because they took them very seriously. They take them seriously in the book, and they take took them seriously as people. Um, the real May Alcott was an um, an excellent artist and she took it very seriously and, and actually Louisa was the one who paid for her to go to Europe and study. Which is interesting how Louisa fractures 
some of her own heroism into other characters. So uh, that's one of them. Another one is uh, actually Louisa went off to the Civil War to work as a nurse. Her father didn't go. It was her. And I just, I, I, I find stuff like that very moving, how authors hide themselves in characters that you mm-hmm. wouldn't think necessarily. But in any case, um, when I was thinking about Amy and, 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 and the sections in Europe, the section in Europe, which is so fascinating to me where she's essentially giving up being an artist because she's not willing to be mediocre. And this is something that I think I've actually never talked about because it doesn't fit neatly into a box because I think, you know, the way everybody wants to assign each March girl, some attribute that that is tidy. Um, and I, I don't think they work like that. And, and one thing I think about Joe is people say, Oh, but Joe was the genius. And I was like, the, the more I think about Joe and the more I've thought about what she did is, and then secondarily, Louise May Alcott was, she was willing to be bad um, in a way that Amy wasn't. Because on the one hand, to say, I want to be great or nothing, it, it is that tremendous ambition that she has. On the other hand, what if you just have to suffer through being not so great for a while? Or maybe you're not going to ever be great, but maybe you still have to do it. And to me, the difference between Amy and Joe is that Joe is willing to not be great as long as she can keep doing it. I mean, this is not a this is a, this is not a thought that I've completely wrapped my head around. So maybe I'm opening a can of worms that I don't need to. But I I always think about the difference between them because it is she does Amy does. It's unbearable to Amy that she's not going to be a genius. And I think that that's, um, it's, a, it's something I really understand. I, I, I think a lot of people who have artistic ambitions understand because if you love art and you see that you're not going to be the, one of the greats, they think it's painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I, I think, you know, she grew up, she loved, you know, the reproductions of the old masters' paintings. She goes to Europe to study them. She gets to Italy. She was like, well, it's not the Renaissance anymore. What am I going to do? I'm not going to make these paintings. And then she goes to Paris. And then, and this is not from the book. This is just from exactly when she was there. What's happening in Paris in 1868? Manet is starting to paint. Cezanne is starting to paint. Impressionism is starting. And what is the flattening of space, the flattening of 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 paint the 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 making paint itself the subject of the painting non-representational painting the beginning of modernism it's starting and she sees it and she knows she's not it and that it's like that moment i feel i so empathize with i think it's um you know I think in some ways it's a, it, obviously it's a privilege to, to know, to know you're not on the, to know you're not as good as them. But um, anyway, and it's something I think about, I, I don't know. I, I empathize with it. I think about it. It's, it's, it's a, I think our, all artists think about it. And I think everybody has a moment where they say, I want to be great or nothing. Um, and I think that's wonderful. And then I also think you have to have a moment where you say, I'm going to do it anyway. We talked about this in, with Lady Bird, and I, I would recommend to everybody go back to listen to that podcast because you really talked w- wonderfully about your writing and the sense of cadence mm. and, and, and how important that was to yeah. you. So I, we'll use that as b- background for this. <laughs> but there's an element here with 
I know a lot of some of the dialogue you're pulling from mm-hmm. this book and other mm-hmm. books, but it, it more it seems as like where you've more left your imprint is in the sense of a speed, a sense of a cadence, right. and an, and with the sisters all together, mm-hmm. it's the it's the overlapping. No, right? that's true. That's true. No, it's funny. I, I did a, a Q and A the other night, and someone said you've updated the language, and I said no, I didn't. I I had them say it very fast. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I mean, I, I writ, wrote very specific overlap for the language of where I wanted all the, the, the lines coming in because I knew I wanted it to be a cacophony, but I knew I didn't want it to be messy. So there's very, you know, it's I'll, I'll do write a slash where I know I want the next person to enter and then a slash where I want the person after that to enter with the line. And um, it, it, requir- it required some rehearsal and some work because how much time did you have with we had two weeks i wish we had more that's another difficulty in talking to mike mike lee and hearing what he gets (laughs) is um two weeks felt like a real like a real win for us but it's uh it's uh it's you know it's, it's just we prioritize it less i think in american filmmaking but we had a couple of weeks but it was a real it's a technical thing um for the actors it's uh it's like a skill. Um, so, but I think in a way that's nice to have a technical hurdle because it takes you out of your head in a way. It makes it less about like emoting or doing something right and more about just getting getting, getting this language and getting these rhythms correct. And I think that that's So you're not thinking useful. about that on set. That's already, yeah. it's already, it's already wrote. It's already almost. set. It's, yeah. it's already in you. It's, it's like a, it's like being a dancer. I, I mean, you, you find the freedom in the structure, and that's that's how I think of language in in movies. One thing I loved about this film is it also feels like um, what you just said is something that you found a way to translate in movement with camera movement. Not yes. only not only staging, oh, but it seems it seems thank as you. if a collaboration with Yorick here is is it was very much stemmed from that, right? Yes, yes, that's that's right. I mean, it's funny because Lady Bird, I thought uh, uh, very much. Um, I, I thought of it as. Like, tableaus and very still and this kind of almost like these triptychs type uh, unfolding in front of you or stained glass windows and um and this one I always saw the camera as a as as a dancer and uh but not again not messy and that's um it's it's hard to explain but you know I mean obviously I I didn't I can never have anything handheld which um because it makes me motion sick <laughs> um I like I like I like putting a camera uh, uh, on a on a dance floor on a dolly um, and choreographing shots. And you know, if you have a really good dolly grip, which we had, you can kind of uh, dance Dolly's with them. Grounded, it's know. a firmness. Well, I know. Steadicam's it's wonderful, heavy. but it's a float. There's a floating aspect to it. I mean, there's obviously great Steadicam, okay. Steadicam uh, like uh, moments in cinema, and I, I think Steadicam can be used to extraordinary effect. But what you want, um, yeah. It's just... But I wanted something that felt like it was uh, had weight on the earth, like a dancer, and. Um, so, and, and, you know, the way we talked about the camera movement is it more in, in the, the adult life, it would be more uh, formal and more static and more farther away from the subject. And then in girlhood that it would be kind of with them. And, um, and York, it just, he, I, honestly, I mean, it's the beauty of I Am Love that, you know, was so extraordinary that I, you know, I, when I, I remember when I saw that movie, I was like, who shot this movie? But then, um. 
That's the uh, Luca Gladino film for yes, uh, for, I am uh, love for, yes. uh, listeners. But then it was the movement in Carlos, like that he had that relentless. It's almost um, I felt like some restlessness behind the camera, and that you could feel him. Is that what I could it? feel him? Yeah, and I liked that. I liked feeling him, and I knew, I knew. I, I think sometimes with period pieces, you run the risk of looking like everything's nailed to the ground. So I, I felt like if I could get that kind of lightness and that uh, kind of a reverence of the camera camera movement that it would take some of that heaviness out um and and i think it it was it was a big part of why why um people say oh it feels feels modern i mean it's also down i mean it's that combined with the cutting which my um uh, my uh editor nick hui who i also worked with on ladybird the cutting you know i was we looked at french new wave movies particularly Truffaut movies, because um, they're period pieces, but they don't feel like it. And it's hard to know why, but part of it is the cutting. It's just, it just, they give you little moments and they cut out before you're, um, before you're settled. It's almost like it cuts like a a beat before you think. Yeah, that's right. It cuts a beat, yeah. It's like you don't land, you keep going. Yeah. I mean, I'm very hesitant of the land because I, I think... Uh, I like keeping the ball in the air. I like kind of being, I, I like that kind of, uh, that feeling. Uh, plus I, I want, I, I, I have a rhythm that I'm, I, but I, I need to dive right into it. I think, um, often people at first say, oh, it's so fast. And then, but then once it catches, they say, oh no, 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 I see. I see. It's, 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 there's a, there's a metronome um, somewhere, but in, in any case, that 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 cutting, that movement, that all contributed to it. But York, York is um, just an extraordinary DP, and he also, you know, we have the same. We were looking at the same things. We have the same taste. We have the same kind of um, idea of how it should feel, and we looked at a lot of films together and um, and talked about why why they felt so good. You know, another great one for per- a great period piece that feels alive is Reds. Um, oh, the Kozlowski? Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. Reds. Uh, I was about to say, that's not period. Oh, no, the, the Warren the, Beatty? Warren Beatty, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. It's just, um, it's just wonderful. I mean, it, it's just wonderful that's in general. Far. I mean, it's, um, uh, that was, a, we looked at that a lot for, um, the sort of New York period of it. I mean, it's a little later, but um, it's great. I mean, we also looked at uh, uh, Heaven's Heaven's Gate, Michael Cimino for the color. Um, looked at um, actually John Huston's The Dead for camera movements, um, which has more camera movements than I had remembered, and it's a great reference. Um, I, we, I mean, for for also just like the, the I, because I wanted there to be a kind of pushed and heightened quality to childhood. That was a lot of musicals, and Gigi and um, Meet Me in St. Louis, um, that kind of uh, electric sadness. <laughs> also has that sense of warmth and holding, yeah, you know. exactly. Well, let's talk. About, you know, the other part about this is uh, I, I think I've seen other where you, you've used the the term the halcyon snow globe, but there is uh, yeah. there, there is there is this element of also of those. In the uh, March home, the 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 I guess we call them flashbacks, whatever yeah. the, the earlier part. It, there's a there's a lack of fear of of going um, warm and beautiful right, right, in, in a right, way right, that right. I think 
it, and it, I mean, part of it is, I guess, probably you like the contrast because it helps keep yes, an orientation. Yes. But but even that, it seems like you kind of really, you and you are really yeah. kind of leaned into that a little bit, right? No, yeah, we wanted to. I mean, um, I, definitely. I, it's funny in the in the actual shooting of it, we did we we did use filters, uh, but. It, and we shot on film, which was really helpful because, as they say, it falls off the truck. You can kind of get it the way you want it right away. Um, it's less time in the DI and all of that. And we used filters and, uh, you know, old old lenses, but filters to kind of give it that golden glow. But we didn't apply everything completely uniformly. Number one, because we didn't want to bake anything too completely irreversible into the image just because we weren't 100% sure how it was going to go together. And also, we needed it to work side by side. So you didn't want to cut from you know, one timeline to another timeline and feel um, aesthetically dissatisfied. You wanted to stay um, in the realm of pleasurable. So we didn't want to paint ourselves into a corner in, a, in, in, in that way. And then the other issue with it was, um, kind of a, doing it in camera. It also changes depending on what are, are you shooting interiors or exteriors? Is it candle lit? Is it because it does change the quality and, um, sort of maintaining that consistency is, is a bit of a trick. But we wanted to lean into, uh, you know, we wanted to be unembarrassed by it in a way. I don't think the characters are embarrassed by their own love or their own um, feelings. So we didn't want our film to be embarrassed by it either. There's a quote here. I wish I knew who I stole this from. I Maybe you might be um, a critic. Mm -hmm. But it, it was making the point that there's a hero's journey inside the home. I don't know if yes, that's one of the yeah. and, and, and that sense that they, these girls, when they are girls, there's these, this sense of a limitless option, which, of course, is a contrast to, to, right. to, to the adult world that they run into. And it seems as if it kind of baked into what you and you were just speaking of. Yeah. It also feels like so much of this is also the inside of that home yes. and what yes. that looks like. And it just, it just kind of hugs you to a certain degree with yeah. these details. No, you're right. No, it's, and we'd always talked about Jess Gontra and I, who uh, is a production designer. He, he also, we, we talked about how is this jewel box inside, how you open it up and it's, um, it's this world where these girls can be ambitious and big and thrive and be, uh, you know, they can, they can have this full, rich life. Um, and I do think, I mean, I, I mean, it is, you know, shooting it in Concord, Massachusetts, shooting it on location. It is, it was, um, it felt like we were shooting it on hallowed ground. I mean, it is where she wrote the book. And I think that quality of, um, you know, if you were to make a it's usually with uh, actually um, movies about war with the reverence for what it was for that, uh, uh, that hallowed ground you, you shoot there. And to me, this was, this was that same level of reverence of wanting to honor what she did because, because there's just as much um, epic in a kitchen as a battlefield. Um, and it certainly was for these women. I have to imagine reading this book uh, we all know you were from California. Which yes, yes. I have to imagine I, I'm a New England boy, but I have to uh, imagine there's something about reading these books and 
and in New England in yes. winter. Yes, yeah. It's like something, uh, you know, that is, especially the transcendentalists and everything sure. around there. There's a, it, I mean, it's wonderful that it's grounded in a place, but there's a romance, I oh, feel, yeah. like that you probably carried with you from. Yes, I have my own. Yeah, that's right. No, I have my own version of, uh, yeah, that fantasy of a New England I mean, I remember when I was in third grade, I actually had a wonderful teacher in third grade, Mrs. Clark. She had us do something, California public school. I don't know who let her do this. She had every single kid memorize one poem a week and then recite it in front of the whole class, which, and you'd had to choose it and it had to be, it could be a certain length, but she had us all memorize Stopping in the, uh, Stopping in the Woods in a Snowy Evening, the Robert Frost poem, um, whose woods these are, I think I know, his house is in the village. Show. Anyway. I just remember sitting in Sacramento, California <laughs> as third grader after third grader. I have to say this poem in like temporary buildings that, you know, that had been built like after World War II in the, you know, the middle of like a just a blindingly hot October day in, a cent- in Central Valley, California. And I was like, what the hell do we know about my little horse stopping in the woods? But like, it just... I I don't know. I did have this idea between all of these writers of what, you know, what what a magical place, uh, you know, Massachusetts, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, like all these. Like if only I had an attic in New England. Oh, my God. I mean, I still think that. It's like then I would really be an artist. Instead, I'm here at a Taco Bell. (laughs) That's how I always felt. I was like. They had like just such beautiful stuff, and we have we had Taco Bell. I was so mad. <laughs> um, one thing that I am not as well versed on, um, yeah. so I don't really. Have, but I would love for you to talk a little bit about is um, these costumes. Oh yes, um, yeah. Because all I knew was is that I they felt so much like the character. They felt mm. so tactile, and they also just felt like something like. I could see, like, I'd love it for people to wear things. There's there's, there's something about it that felt, and I'm sure they're period accurate, but they're just something that felt, I don't know. I I just love them. I don't, maybe you could speak a little bit. Jacqueline Duran is your wonderful costume designer. She is, yeah, she's extraordinary. She's, um, she's one of, I I mean, she really was one of the first people that I started working on this with seriously because it was such a big uh, piece costumes were such a big piece of this. So I went to London and worked with her and we were, we spent uh, days at this place called Sands, which is a extra, it's like a museum and a costume shop. It's run by this woman, Christine, who's sent from heaven. She's a, uh, she's just a groovy lady. Who's, uh, but she's, she's managed this, this place herself. And anyway, it's sort of like every piece of research you could ever want. It's actually, I mean, for the, if anyone's listening to this, we're sitting in a library right now with a bunch of archives. It's like that, but for costumes and for just things in general, like if you're a production designer, like at Sands, you can, everything's organized by year, every five years or something. So you could be like, what are outdoor gardens like in 1845? And there's an entire drawer you pull out and then they have every piece of research that they've gathered on outdoor gardens in 1845 so we were there and 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 Jacqueline and I were working we were looking at paintings we were looking at photographs and then every so often Christine would pop by and sort of listen to what we were saying and then she'd wander out and then she'd wander back in with a bunch of out of book print out of print books and put them down and say 
is this what you're looking for? And then she'd like run away. And then we'd look and it was exactly what I was looking for. Like I wanted references for girls wearing, I wanted references for girls not wearing corsets. I wanted girls references not wearing hoop skirts. And I wanted, uh, what I wanted to do was basically build the world outside of the March family and then build the March family because I wanted them to look like what they were essentially which is that hippie family that makes their own clothes and does what they want to do which is what they exactly were and um and so it was that that kind of structure of building that you know 1860s world that we all know mainly from film and then have that the contrast and it was just such a, a pleasure to work with Jacqueline and then I was able to bring the actors in really early too so Sersha and Florence and Timmy and Eliza, Emma, we did these fittings and, 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 and built the wardrobes together. And the other big part of it was I didn't want anything to feel like uh, costumes. I wanted everything to feel like clothes. Like those are just the clothes they it, wear. It's amazing. I mean, you obviously, as an actress yourself, I mean, it's amazing you hear people talk about it and just how much mm-hmm. you can transport when you when when it does become mm-hmm. their clothes versus costumes. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean... One thing uh, Jacqueline did that was really smart was that even even when it looks like they're wearing dresses, everything is separate. So there's a separate skirt from top. So what it it allowed her to do was just put a bunch of options in the trailer and then let the girls put it together how they wanted. So that they... in some ways we're being guided by like, okay, this is the wardrobe of girlhood. This is the wardrobe of adulthood, but then they could construct it however they wanted, which makes it also feel quite lived in. Yeah. Versus like the half an hour you have to do beforehand. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, can we talk about the end? Can we, can we, can mm-hmm. we, can we do that? I think uh, that's fine. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. So everybody uh, say goodbye to Greta. If you haven't seen the movie, yet. I mean, you, should, yeah. you should, you should see the movie and then, and uh, then, uh, and then, and then tune back in <laughs> and then come back. It, it, I've seen you say elsewhere that it was like, uh, as much as this film was a discovery, that yeah. end was like, yeah, I know, I know this end. Yes. And it seems as if uh, making a direct connection back to also, mm. Um, where we started, which was mm. you you getting in touch with Alcott yes, herself. Exactly. I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about. Sure. Um, well, I knew when I started reading about Alcott herself, I learned that she didn't really want to end the book the way she ended the book. That um, she didn't want Joe March to get married. She, as a fan of the book, is that something I, I know women that have felt this way that they felt yeah. that 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 they'd almost. <laughs> felt like you know i love all these old 50s films and sometimes there's always like the last five minutes that were tacked on you yeah know, you're like oh no i was interested in the 80 minute journey beforehand and this yeah. felt like the end like did the you, end did you feel that way uh, before you even did this process about that yeah end? yeah i mean in a way i think i'd almost blocked out that part of joe i don't care that joe marries a german professor what do i care like that's not the reason i love joe i mean i love joe because she was you know wanted to be a writer and she was uh, you know, had these big dreams and she had a anger problem. Um, and, uh, but I didn't, I, I, I almost didn't even, it just didn't fold into what I knew about Joe. I, I felt like I willfully kind of ignored it. And then when I found out she didn't really want to, I mean, what she said was I made her a funny match out of spite. Um, so the German professor was initially also just she she said, I think in the book she says he doesn't even have one attractive feature on his face. 
which I was like, well, we're not doing that. I'm casting Louis Grell. <laughs> but um, but I, I think she never, yeah, she never really, she never really got behind it. She just did it out of, um, out of necessity. And it does feel like a Band-Aid in that way. It feels like, um, it feels not in keeping with the rest of it somehow. Uh, and so, and then, so it was sort of like that, knowing that, um, knowing the story of how she kept her copyright, how she negotiated for a, a higher back end deal, uh, those things started to coalesce into an ending that I could get behind. Um, I just knew I couldn't do the, I can't do a romantic ending with a straight face. Not like that. I mean, I, I just, I mean, maybe one day I'll have it in me, but I just don't, I just can't. Um, and it, neither could she is the truth. And her version of kind of sticking it to them was making him this German profession professor. But, um, yeah, I just, I, I just knew it had to be something else. And I knew, so I, yeah, I started, I guess I, I guess I just, um, once I had that, I don't know. There's something comfortable. I imagine that part of what this is, is like, there's almost an element with the way that you shoot it. So romantic. So yeah, over yeah, the top. Yeah. And so sweeping that there's an element that there's a movie within the book or a book within yes. the movie that it gives it like a, almost a, I, I, I'm guessing yeah. A, a comfortable distance whereas your heart is so in yes every little detail here one feels you as an author kind of right intentionally letting winking and I'm, I'm guessing that there's an element for you also that gave you uh yes a comfort with that right yes well that's right I mean that's my interpretation uh, no of course I mean I, it was I mean what was wonderful it was like shooting a movie within a movie because you know we had we had all the bells and whistles of a romantic chase scene and all the stuff and we have the rain and the the backlight and the music. I had Alexander go crazy and um you know, it was kiss in the rain. Uh and it was really fun to shoot. Actually, Sersha I was like I remember she was so happy that day and I was like, Why are you so happy? She was like, Because we're making a movie, you know? And it was it's true. It felt very like capital M movie. Um, but, and it, and it, and it did, I mean, it, the wonderful thing about adaptation in general is that it forces you to be bigger than you are. Um, it forces you to be maybe braver than you are because you wouldn't do it, but because of the requirements of the text, you, you find yourself doing things you wouldn't do. But this is in a way was like, it was like my permission slip to do a big romantic ending was that I wasn't really doing it. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, um, we, uh, you know, when there's a first film, a first, well, you've made other features, but mm. you know, but I mm -hmm. mean, we'll call Lady Bird the yeah. first. Got it. Definitely. No, that's fine. And, and, and it, it, when it means so much to people and it means so much to me and it's just this, it's just this wonderful voice, I always get nervous for all of you on the second one. <sighs> and, and there's cause yeah. the expectations. Gotta get through it. There's expectations. Those are all my favorite yeah. filmmakers. Sometimes they took six, seven films to, to like, get to the, you know, to get them. And I get so nervous because there's expectations. And then when they dial it up and they get like a big studio thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't tell you how much this film exceeded oh, first great. off it just it just was so wonderful and i Thank was so you. nervous i was like oh no but it's it's just uh it's it's remarkable what you did Thank with you. this I Thank really, you. and everybody i talked to keeps saying everybody was like oh i'm excited for the new credit or i'm excited for yeah the new yeah credit. everybody that i've talked to has just been like it's 
no, it's a lot better than I thought it would be. Oh, it's good, really good. good. Oh, good. Yeah. No, no, it's actually, you know, it's something that I, I think about because obviously as a person who loves movies and thinks about movies and watches them, um, I feel like at this moment, you know, like really sticking to this, like, you know, what's your second film? What's your fourth film? What's your seventh film? What's your 11th film? Like, like having filmmakers who have long careers and I hope I have a long career, but, um, it, you know, so I, there was actually an article on IndieWire not that long ago. I think it was, it was just, it was about like name. It's hard to name people's like, third films or you know that that a lot of it was about how like a lot of film talent is going you know going in different mediums now which makes sense because there's more opportunities but then it's also kind of depressing because then you don't really know how they would have developed as as filmmakers in that way that they're like they you know they you don't get third films it's so hard right so now. yeah, yeah. Right. so i'm committed to the journey and um but i was like that's why i knew you know even if you make a movie every let's say every two or three years or two to four years that's not that many movies you know so they all count <laughs> and you got to get working <laughs> when you did this when you wrote I, re- I just learned that you um pitched doing the script before yes i did yeah before they, and now, after I dug into it, I was like, "There's no way in the back of your head you were you were you weren't thinking about directing this." Oh no, it was definitely. Yeah. I was definitely thinking about directing this. Like, like wait for uh, I got Lady Bird coming. You'll, like, yeah, because it's like yeah, I, I can't like, imagine you're you would have been comfortable. No, no matter what wonderful director. <laughs> no, no, no. I knew also when I was writing it, I was writing such a complicated script that I I I just I remember laughing to myself as I was writing it, and I was like, "Good luck trying to find someone to direct this." Um, so I just knew. I just knew I was going to direct it mm. um, on some level, even though I had no business thinking that it would work out. I just knew I was going to. Oh, congratulations. Thank thanks. you. Thank you so much. So fun to talk to you. 